Campfire Classics is a classic literature podcast. However, your hosts will occasionally use not-so-classy language and immature humor to describe very mature situations. As such, listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Ken Sandberg. And I'm Heather Michelle Lawler. Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. I have to burp, but I don't want to burp. Right on the, the microphone. <laughs> now you've built it up. There, oh, there we go. Was. Gotta let that out. I was jokingly burping right before we recorded, and and it, you know one got stuck. <laughs> yeah. You can't you can't let that that kind of thing build up though. You have to just like you let gotta it out. let it out, or it's like painful. It's like swallowing like you know the wrong down the wrong pipe. Well, it's literally swallowing down the wrong pipe. You're <laughs> you're, you're swallowing air down the wrong direction. That's why you burp. Oh yeah, that too. So it's not like that. It's it's exactly oh, yes. Good. No, I'm ahead. I'm a scientist. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome to our scientific podcast. Oh wait. Welcome to Science Corner, where we science harder than anyone has ever scienced before. You signed up for it. Here you are. To (laughs) go where no scientist has ever dared go. And they've never gone there because it's bullshit. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's a big part of it. Bullshit. (laughs) Welcome to Bullshit Corner, where we bullshit. That's more, way more accurate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, It yeah. is kind of really the whole thing, isn't it? That really is. That's what we do. I mean, yeah. we pick a story and we bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. <laughs> and then eventually we get to the end of the story. And, and then we bullshit some more. And then we go away. Yeah. And then we come back. And it's like, people come back and it's like, cool. Yeah. So if that doesn't get you excited for this episode... I don't know what will. Y'all, it has been a long week because we're just... I've started two jobs this week. Yeah. Hey, why don't you talk about what you did today? That was exciting. Was, I can't. Uh, I was uh, I was Betsy Ross for the first time at the Betsy Ross yeah. house. Um, they let me go in there in costume a day early because they've been very happy with my training. And my parents, it was their last day, and they were like, yeah, you're ready. Let's do this. Yeah. So I spent So believe it or hours. not, this foul-mouthed sailor of a human being. <laughs> is Betsy Ross. And we do not was know. Was the family-facing Betsy Ross. We do not know what Betsy talked like or who she was known as a little rebel. So yep. I'm going to guess Betsy had some opinions of her own. So um, I keep it, keep it clean and tidy in the Betsy Ross house. But, you know, she's got some fire underneath her. In fact, yeah. I, uh, I was told today that... Uh, they do believe I am the first redheaded Betsy, which is pretty cool. That's cool. <laughs> That's cool. That's I like that. Pretty cool. But yeah, so if you're in Philadelphia and you want to come to the Betsy Ross house, come stalk me there. Oh yeah, wait, I shouldn't tell people that. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, I most have, of the people who listen to this are people that you would be delighted to see. At the I Betsy would be Ross delighted house. to see if you're one of my stalkers listening to this. Don't come to the Betsy Ross. <laughs> If you're one of Heather's stalkers listening to this, you should come to the Betsy Ross house tomorrow at midnight and go stand in the workshop for like five minutes Mm -hmm. after you've broken in. Yeah, nothing bad will happen to you. definitely someone friendly 
will show up to say hello to you. It might be Heather. It might be someone else. I love it, how I just spoke about myself in the third person. <laughs> it I've might spent, be Betsy Ross. It might be Betsy Ross. Yeah. Betsy's always there. I mean, she in is buried outside of the spirit. house. Spirit. Yes. No one asked me today if if it's haunted. I was waiting for the haunted. I just I just got my housing assignment for <gasps> yes uh, for up in Maine for the next show that I'm yes. doing. I just got an email with my housing assignment, and my housing roommate is listed as Frank the Ghost. And I immediately went, "What is that about?" And I'm so happy. <laughs> so yeah, so I I responded. I got the, all the other stuff looks like looks really good. Um, it, you know, got full bedroom and bathroom and kitchen and all that stuff but I responded saying yeah this all looks awesome uh as a skeptic I am unconcerned as a believer my fiance is intrigued who the fuck is Frank the ghost (laughs) I know I was excited to visit before because I love this area of Maine Ken's gonna be in um you know I've talked about it before Portland um but Uh, I am even more excited now because apparently he's, his roommate is a ghost. <laughs> and if, if you follow this boat, if you follow this podcast at all, you know how much that makes me happy. So, yeah. yay, Frank the ghost. So stay tuned in the next couple of weeks for some ghost hunting episodes. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, that was like an evil laugh. I like it. <laughs> I'm good at those. So. Uh, hi there, listener. How you doing, camper? Yeah, hanging in, having a good time. Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, this is Campfire Classics. It's not a science podcast or a bullshit podcast. Uh, this this is a literary comedy podcast where we attempt to cold read short stories that we've pulled out of the obscurity of the public domain, and we read them for you. Uh, for the first time right here on mic, and we frequently make fun of accidental or intentional penis jokes and outdated <laughs> misogyny. Uh, <laughs> they really kind of go hand in hand. I mean, they do. Misogyny and dick and, jokes. And dick jokes. Uh, what we do is we read these short stories that we find in the public domain, and this week I have chosen a story for Heather to read. But before we get into the story this week, I'm going to read a few little fun facts to sort of um, put us in the mood. Yes. Consider this literary foreplay. Hot. (laughs) (laughs) That's hot. (laughs) So, the literary trope of the evil clown is a relatively new one. (laughs) We're back to clowns? Yeah, so I'm scooping fun facts and clown corner into one thing. Ooh, damn. All right. Uh, So most people who study such things trace the origins to the modern evil clown either to the 1980s with Stephen King's It Mm -hmm. or to the 1940s with Batman's The Joker. Okay. Uh, Either way, its true origins are kind of unclear. Um, you covered the the Pagliacci clown yes. incident in yes. a previous clown corner, but as far as evil clowns as part of entertainment, it's actually really hard to track down when they first became a thing. Scary, yeah. like the like a a, a trope, mm-hmm. a sort of almost a cliche. Almost a cliche to the point um, where when you say clown, people go ah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. But that was not the case mm-hmm. for most of clown history. Clowns were like. If you if there was an evil clown, that was a weird thing. Yeah, and it's it's only very recently that clown and creepy have become almost synonymous. Almost like 
common public knowledge. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the the evil clown uh, appeared a few times in the 18th century. In writing, we have things like Edgar Allan Poe, who has a short story called Hop Frog that features the trademarks, some of the trademarks of an evil clown character. Uh, and it's said to be based on an actual event from the 14th century. Don't worry, we'll go into that a little more later. Okay. <laughs> um, in drama, there's the the Pagliacci yes. clown and the show that it was said to be a ripoff of, mm-hmm. La Femme de Tabarin by Mendez. Yes. Um, but that's kind of it in the 18th, uh, in, in the, the 18th and, and like 19th century. Then we make it deep into the 20th century before we really start seeing these sort of intentionally creepy clowns with any sort of regularity. And really, it doesn't start until the Joker, and only if you count him, which a lot of people don't, because he's a comic book villain. Because it's, like, not really a person. Like, it's, yeah, because it's a drawing. Yeah. yeah. Until they started making films of it, yeah. or TV shows, yeah. And it was very over the top. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So then, 1978, we have John Wayne Gacy yes. slash Pogo the Clown. <laughs> and that really seems to be the beginning of all of the mayhem taking off. Because shortly after that, we have um, Pennywise mm-hmm. uh, hit book stands. And then the that TV miniseries with Tim Curry, the movie, yes. in, was 1990. Um, and all of a sudden, we've got evil clowns fucking everywhere. The 80s gave us killer clowns from outer space, Krusty the Clown and Insane Clown Posse. Yep. Uh, the 90s gave us Doink, the WWF wrestler. <laughs> Doink. Um, and uh, more comic book villains, like there's one called The Violator, who mm-hmm. first appeared in 1992. Ew, I um, hate that name. Yeah, it's pretty Gross. terrible. He's creepy. And he's a um, clown? Good God, that's terrifying. And, and in the 90s, we got entire websites dedicated to tracking sightings of evil clowns okay. in in the wild essentially and studying the fear of clowns um but all of that didn't start until sort of the late 70s early 80s hmm. so listeners if you remember the 80s and i mean actually remember them like you were a person not just like a toddler in the 80s I remember if you remember a couple years if you really remember the 80s or even better if you have strong memories in the 70s or earlier that was i would me. i would love to know if you can pinpoint when you first recognized evil clown as a trope oh yeah so, so like our parents, uh, are well, so, like yeah. really anyone from like Gen X or yeah. earlier. Yeah. Um. So if if you can, oh, yeah. If you can think back to when when was the first time you you started associating evil clown as like something you kind of expected. Mm-hmm. I'd be curious to hear about that. So please do. Um, you can shoot a, a text message if you happen to have our phone numbers. You can shoot Facebook message to any of our uh, social media. Just look for Campfire Classics Podcast or send an email to 5050artsproduction at gmail.com. And let us know, when's the first time you remember encountering the evil clown trope? See, this all makes sense. This is why my parents hung that scary-ass clown above my bed and didn't think anything of it because they did not associate clowns. They didn't grow up with the evil clown. Well, that's so funny because I guess I didn't really either because like that was hanging above my bed when I was like five and six and Mm -hmm. I always was just kind of like 
It's looking at me. Now, fear of clowns generally is separate from the evil clown trope. Yes, yes. Like, it is possible to find that image I a little unsettling. I didn't even find it unsettling. I felt, I just, it unsettling. <laughs> I did find it unsettling. Uh, good job, Stephen King. But I didn't necessarily find the painting, I, I didn't necessarily find the clown unsettling. It was, the, the, the painting was very realistic you've seen it yeah and it looks like it's like following you because mm-hmm. it's got those kinds of eyes yep so i think the ones that were painted looking straight out so, so everywhere you, yeah and it's just like why why are you so sad because you're supposed to be a happy and it just like i mean that's a metaphor for my life boom <laughs> 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 and that my friends is what depression looks like this week's episode brought to you by Sertraline. Sertraline. <laughs> the generic Soloft. <laughs> Medication is your friend. <laughs> Damn, that got dark real fast. <laughs> anyway. It's been a week, y'all. You know, I'm just an open book here. <laughs> Do you remember when clowns were fun? <laughs> All right, tell me more about clowns. Uh, and, well, and that's 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 pretty much what I got was I it, cool. I, I found it interesting that that's when the evil clown started to take over. Um, I like so that. that is this week's fun clown corner facts. Um, <laughs> this week you will be reading Edgar Allan Poe's Hop Frog. I was like, I bet I'm reading Hop Frog <laughs> because you did not dive into what the yep. fuck that 14th century thing. And I'm like, and we just recently saw his grave. We did when we yeah. were seeing Lizzo, which yeah. sounds like a weird night. It was a very we it was a weird. Lizzo, and then we saw Edgar Allan Poe's yeah. grave. Um, but yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. So yeah. yay, I'm excited. All, All right. right, so let's start this fire. Uh-huh. Hop Frog by Edgar Allan Poe. I never knew anyone so keenly alive to a joke as the king was. So is that a jester? no one ever. <laughs> yeah, right. Must be a happy king. He seemed to live only for joking. To tell a good story of the joke kind and to tell it well was the surest road to his favor. Okay. Thus it happened that his seven ministers were all noted for their accomplishments as jokers. They all all took after the king, too, in being large, corpulent, oily men. Ew. That's gross. See, this time right back to small ball syndrome, right? (laughs) Hey, oily men do not inherently... No. I just immediately, when I hear a large, corpulent, oily man, I imagine, like, the 70s in a, like, sauna with, like, mafia guys naked, like, being like, hey, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Someone probably owns a rug factory. Yeah, it's something, and they're they're doing some sketchy shit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So large, corpulent, oily men, as well as inimitable jokers. Ooh, we got big words here, Edgar Allen. Good for you. Yeah, what? he was he was a he was a clever fucker. He was. Good for him. Some of us have to be. Whether people grow fat by joking, or whether there is something in fat itself which predisposes to a joke. I have never been quite able to determine, but certain it is that a lean joker is a rara avis in terris. I'm guessing it's Latin for like rarer than like dirt or um, something rare. A like, rare. Uh, I, I'm going to guess it's something like a rare sight on earth. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. A rare sight. Yeah. 
Avis, view, Terra, so Terra, uh, Earth, ground, yeah. dirt. Ah, nope. Right idea. Absolutely right okay. idea. But uh, Rara Avis is uh, not rare sight. It's rare bird. Rare bird uh, on the Earth? Yeah. Okay. Terrace, terrace is Earth, yes. Okay. But rare bird. Okay, so he's he's claiming that all funny people are fat. Yes. <laughs> Which is funny to me. All right. That alone in, that alone in itself is quite funny, actually. Edgar Allan Poe was a lean man. Yes. <laughs> And he was not... Well, he actually kind of was he, funny. I mean, so far. I mean, he is funny, though. Yeah. We've read a couple of his, of his comedian of his comedian stories. Why are the comedian stories? They're comedy stories. Comedian. Comedian. Mark Twain was rather lean as well. Was he? Yeah. I mean, not, not obscenely so, but especially in his early years, he For was... For some reason, I always picture him with, like, a Missouri beer gut. With his mustache, he's like got a big cigar, and he's like, "I love Tom Sawyer." I mean, he had, come he, down into my cave, and I'll show you. He he goes, Why is he so gross? I don't, I don't know. He certainly had a little bit. <laughs> come down into my cave. <laughs> Let me tell you about Thomas Tom Sawyer and Mr. Huck Finn and Huckleberry. <laughs> Why we turned Mark Twain into a disgusting man? Oh no! Bring me my huckleberries <laughs> and a mint julep where you at it. Ah. And he's like shoving food in his mouth, oily and gross. Okay, moving on. Please. <laughs> About the refinements, or as he called them, the ghosts of wit. The king troubled himself very little. He had an especial admiration for breadth in a jest and would often put up with length for the sake of it. He likes it wide, he'll accept it long. <laughs> Over niceties wearied him. He would have preferred... Oh, Jesus Christ. Rabelas Gokkinchina. Rob, Rob, Gargantua. I'll give you a hint. That name appears in the Music Man. Rabalas, 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 Rabalas. Ballsack, Ballsack. Oh yes, Rabalas. Yes, he would have preferred Rabalas Gargantua to the Zadig of Voltaire, and upon the whole, practical jokes suited his taste far better than verbal ones. Uh, oh, he likes he's slapstick. He's a practical joker. Yeah, he likes slapstick. He did not like witty comedy. No, yes. he likes it when people fall down. It's quick. Yeah, he's very. He's definitely a um uh, uh the, the 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 like the what the three guys um three Stooges the three Stooges. <laughs> I was going you know, the three guys. Do you, do you, the guys. The three the, guys. The, the guys. The funny guys. The funny guys. Uh, for some reason, I wanted to say the Hardy Boys. That's a very different group of people. You know, he was a big fan of the Hardy Boys. <laughs> yeah. He loved a good mystery about some kids in the 50s solving crimes. The Hardy Boys, the boxcar children yeah. loved them. The yeah, Babysitter's Club. Big Judy Bloom fan that came. Sweet Valley High. <laughs> Good times, y'all. Great oldies. Cool 108. At the date of my narrative, professing jesters had not altogether gone out of fashion at court. 
Several of the great continental powers still regained their fools, who wore motley with caps and bells, and who were expected to be always ready with a sharp witticism at a moment's notice in consideration of the crumbs that fell from the royal table. Sounds like working at a restaurant. <laughs> yep. Here, wear this stupid vest with buttons on it, and we'll pay you $2 an hour, and maybe someone will give you a little extra money on the side. <laughs> if you're especially clever. If you're especially funny and clever. Yep. Well, damn. There it is, folks. Waiters are just the jesters of the modern time. Oof, that hurts. Our king, as a matter of course, retained his fool. The fact is, he required something in the way of folly, if only to counterbalance the heavy wisdom of the seven wise men who were his ministers, not to mention himself. Wow. Thought highly of himself. Yes, ego much? His fool, or professional jester, was not only a fool, however. His value was troubled in the eyes of the king by the fact of his being also a dwarf and a cripple. Dwarves were as common at court in those days as fools, and many monarchs would have found it difficult to get through their days. Days are rather longer at court than elsewhere. <laughs> oh, fuck off. They're like, my days are so hard when so I sit on this throne and I have to like, yeah, yeah, yeah life's, life's really hard. hard. <laughs> we pity you. We pity you hard, so he needs his jester. Without both a jester to laugh with and a dwarf to laugh at, but... As I have already observed, your jesters, in 99 cases out of 100, are fat, round, and unwieldy, so that it was no small source of self-gradulation with our king that in Hopfrog, this was the fool's name, he possessed a triplicate treasure in one person. This guy's name is Hopfrog! Yep. That's a cute name. I, I I feel like this is like gonna be like the basis of um of leapfrog or something like that. <laughs> I believe the name Hopfrog was not that given to the dwarf by his sponsors at his baptism. Sh <laughs> no shit, Sherlock. <laughs> I don't think Hopfrog was his Christian name. <laughs> Can you imagine going to like a baptism and you're like, we baptize the Hopfrog. Uh Hopfrog Aloysius Anderson. So he does not believe this dwarf was given this name by his sponsors at baptism, but it was conferred upon him by general consent of the seven ministers on account of his inability to walk as other men do. That's fucked up. That's really fucked. In fact, Hopfrog could only get along by a sort of interjectual gait, something between a leap and a wriggle. It sounds like a cool dance, though. <laughs> like, leap. Wriggle with it and leap. And wriggle with, with it. it. <laughs> Hot Frog would be like the life of the fuck. Well, clearly he was the life of the he party. Was He's a fucking jester. Professionally. Perfe got paid full time for this shit. He would like slay on uh, Comic Last Standing or something like that. Yeah. A movement that was afforded illimitable. Ilim 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 yes, illimitable. Illimitable. I think I, I, I figured out some of the words I have trouble with are when there's too many straight lines in a row. Yeah, well, because that is I-L-L-I. And it all kind of looks the same, it and just, it just makes me go, it looks, like, it looks like a barcode. It's like, and I can't read barcode. I don't read barcode, not yet. We'll see until they program our brains. Fat one, skinny one, fat one, fat one, skinny one, skinny one, skinny one, fat one, skinny hey, one, fat one, that's how he labeled jesters. So, yeah, okay. A movement that afforded illimitable amusement 
and of course, consolation to the king for notwithstanding the protuberance of his stomach and the constitutional swelling of the head, which one? The king, by his whole court, was accounted a capital figure. But although Hot Frog, through the distortion of his legs, could move only with great pain and difficulty along a road or floor, the prodigious muscular power which nature seemed to have bestowed upon his arms by way of compensation for deficiency in the lower limbs enabled him to perform many feats of wonderful dexterity, where trees or ropes were in question or anything else to climb. At such exercises, he certainly much more resembled a squirrel or a small monkey than a frog. That's that's going to come into play, I imagine. Oh, yeah. He's going to, like, scurry up a fucking tree and the king is going to get eaten by a bear or something. And, like, there's going to be something I like, like that. that game. I like that game. Eat the king. Eat, eat the, the rich. King. Eat the rich. Save the jesters. I mean, yeah. Eat, eat, eat the rich. Save eat the jesters. Eat the rich. Save the actors. Like, <laughs> I know what I'm about. You know Hot Frog hates that fucking guy. Come on. I am not able to say with precision from what country Hot Frog originally came from. He was French. <laughs> no, he is not. Because if he talks, he's not going to have a French accent. He's, he's French. Nope. It was, it was from some barbarous region, however, that no person ever heard of. France. Yes, the mystical land of France that no one has ever heard of, yes. Exactly. It was from some barbarous region, however, that no person had ever heard of, a vast distance from the court of our king. Hopfrog and a young girl, very little less dwarfish than himself, although of exquisite proportions and a marvelous dancer, okay, Esmeralda, had been forcibly carried off from their respective homes in adjoining pro... In adjoining pro provinces, had been forcibly carried off from their pers- had been forced. <laughs> this is where my brain is right now. I have too many words in my head. I have an entire other life in my head. <laughs> that sounds like he needs some more medication. <laughs> That's a whole different. Certainly, he's not going to do anything for that. Oh no. Oh no, Betsy Ross! Betsy Ross is... I'm possessed. Betsy Ross could read. Betsy Ross could read very well. Um, I don't know if she read any... Well, she wouldn't have read any Edgar She wouldn't have read any Edgar Allan Poe, not unless she was a what time traveler. What if Betsy Ross's demon possesses me while I'm working there? What if Betsy Ross is Edgar Allan Poe? Like reincarnated? I'm into it. Well, I guess Poe would be Betsy, Betsy Ross, Ross reincarnated. Yeah. What if the spirit of Betsy Ross... Leapt into, hot frogged into, into, into Edgar, Edgar Allan Poe. Poe. Yes. Well, think on that, kids. All right, where the fuck was I? Uh, hot frog and a very young girl, very less dwarfish than himself, although an exquisite, although of exquisite proportions and a marvelous dancer, had been forcibly carried off from their respective homes and adjoining provinces and sent as presents to the king by one of his ever victorious generals under these circumstances it is not to be wondered at that a close intimacy arose between the two captives indeed they soon became sworn friends hot frog who although he made a great deal of sport was by no means popular had it not in his power to render 
Tripita Mini Services. I'm guessing that's the woman's name. I would guess. I'd also guess Tripetta. Tripetta? Tripetta oh, seems like easier Gepetto, to say. Tripetta, like yeah. Tripetta? Tripetta. Tripetta. That's, ooh, that's a fun name. Yeah. But she, on account of her grace and exquisite beauty, although a dwarf, was universally admired and petted. So she possessed much influence and never failed to use it whenever she could for the benefit of Hopfrog. Oh, she'd like flirt with guys to like get extra food, get extra she, stuff. Yeah. She she knew she, she knew how to work it. On some grand state occasion, I forget what, the king determined to have a masquerade. And whenever a masquerade or anything of that kind occurred at our court, then the talents both of Hopfrog and Trapetta were sure to be called in play. Hopfrog in especial was so inventive in the way of getting up pageants, suggesting novel characters, and arranging costume for masked balls. <laughs> masked balls. <laughs> <laughs> that nothing could be done, it seems, without his assistance. <laughs> Can't go about your day if you don't mask your balls. I mean, that's, I mean, that is good life advice. I suppose it depends on what you're counting as masking. Because while I prefer to not have mine just on display, I don't want them, like, wrapped up. Well, no, you know, it's 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 more like keeping them uh, hidden from public view. Yes, absolutely. Masking, yes. The night appointed for the fete had arrived. A gorgeous hall had been fitted up under Trapetta's eye with every kind of device which could possibly give a clat to a masquerade. Now, I'm seeing some French words, and I'm getting fucking scared. <laughs> <laughs> To a masquerade. The whole court was in a fever of expectation. As for costumes and characters, it might well be supposed that everybody had come to a decision on such points. Many had made up their minds as to what roles they would assume a week or even a month in advance. And in fact, there was not a particle of indecision anywhere, except in the case of the king and his seven ministers. Why they hesitated, I never could tell unless they did it by way of joke. More probably, they found it difficult on account of being so fat to make their minds. Oh my God. This, this episode is going to offend a lot of people. I apologize to uh, um, many, anyone who this is offending. It's Edgar Allan Poe's it's, fault. Yeah, I, just, just blame Edgar Allan Poe. It's fine. He's just an old dick. <laughs> but he masks his balls, so it's fine. At all events, time flew, and at a last resource, they sent for Trapetta and Hopfrog. When the two friends obeyed the summons of the king, they found him sitting at his wine with the seven members of his cabinet council. But the monarch appeared to be in very ill humor. He knew that Hopfrog was not fond of wine, for it excited the poor cripple almost to madness, and madness is no comfortable feeling. Oh, he just gets he's, really drunk. He's too drunk, yeah. Well, at least he knows. But the king loved his practical jokes and took pleasure in forcing Hopfrog to drink and, as the king called it, to be merry. Come here, Hopfrog, said he as the jester and his friend entered the room. Swallow this bumper to the heel. (laughs) 
The word is health. I know. Do you ever create a character that's so fat your mouth's up to I just, I like, like envisioned him being like so like, uh, I can't, and so I like his mouth stops working. He did sort of suddenly become the leader of the Gungans from the Star Wars prequels. <laughs> exactly, yes. Or possibly Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> yes, exactly, that's what I'm envisioning. Swallow this bumper to the health of your absent friends. Here, Hot Frog sighed. And then let us have the benefit of your invention. We want characters. Characters, man. Something novel. Out of the way. We are wearied with this everlasting sameness. Come, drink. The wine will brighten your wits. Hopfrog endeavored, as usual, to get up a jest in reply to these advances from the king. Oh, no. <laughs> but the effort was too much. It happened to be the poor dwarf's birthday, and the command to drink to his absent friends forced the tears to his eyes. Oh, Many large bitter drops fell into the goblet as he took it humbly from the hand of the tyrant. Oh! <laughs> Roared the latter as the dwarf reluctantly drained the beaker. See what a glass of good wine can do? See, your eyes are shining already. Poor fellow. His large eyes gleamed rather than shone, for the effect of the wine on his excitable brain was not more powerful than instantaneous. He placed the goblet nervously on the table and looked round upon the company with a half-insane stare. They all seemed highly amused at the success of the king's joke. And now to business, said the prime minister, a very fat man. Yes, said the king. Come, Hopfrog, lend us your assistance. Characters, my fine fellow, we stand in need of characters, all of us. Ha ha ha! And as this was seriously meant for a joke, his laugh was chorused by the seven. Hopfrog also laughed, although feebly and somewhat vacantly. Come, come, said the king impatiently. Have you nothing to suggest? I am endeavoring to think of something novel, replied the dwarf abstractedly, for he was quite bewildered by the wine. Endeavoring, cried the tyrant fiercely. What do you mean by that? Ah, perceive you're sulky and you want more wine. Here, drink this. He poured out another gobletful and offered it to the dwarf, who merely gazed at it, gasping for breath. Drink, I say, shouted the monster, or by the fiends... The dwarf hesitated. The king grew purple with rage. The courtiers smirked. Trepetta, pale as a corpse, advanced to the monarch's seat and, falling on her knees before him, implored to spare her friend. Oh, no, she's about... Mm, mm, girl, girl, she loves her friend, you know. The tyrant regarded her for some moments in evident wonder of her audacity. He seemed quite at a loss what to do or say. How most becomingly to express... Mm, I'm not going to make a joke. not going to make a joke about becomingly. Uh, to express his indignation. At last, without uttering a syllable, 
He pushed her violently from him and threw the contents of the brimming goblet in her face. Okay, now he's just a dick and he's wasting wine. I have no more patience for this guy. <laughs> the poor girl got up as best she could and, not daring even to sigh, resumed her position at the foot of the table. There was a dead silence for about half a minute, during which the falling of a leaf or a feather might have been heard. It was interrupted by a low but harsh and protracted grating sound which seemed to come at once from every corner of the room. What? What, what, what are you making that noise for? demanded the king, turning furiously to the dwarf. The latter seemed to have recovered in great measure from his intoxication and looked fixingly but quietly into the tyrant's face, merely ejaculating. <laughs> that might be the single best comeback you could make. Comeback! <laughs> what are you making that noise for? Ejaculated. Happy day, celebrate. Seemed like rage ejaculation. Ooh, is that? Ooh, that. Yeah, it's like angry sex. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, because it was. It was the wine. The wine. The wine got him very excited. Because it was a response to the king's question, Mm -hmm. right? He was pissed off, so he ejaculated. (laughs) Why are you making this sound? (laughs) He goes. I. I. All right, so Hot Frog has ejaculated. I'm so excited that word came in play here. It's always a, it's always a pure joy, as ejaculation is, I'm sure. <laughs> I, I, how could it have been me? The sound appeared to come from without, observed one of the court, courtiers. I fancy it was the parrot at the window wetting his bill upon his cage wires. True, replied the monarch, as if much relieved by the suggestion. But on the honor of a knight, I could have sworn it was the gritting of some vagabond's teeth. Hereupon the dwarf laughed. The king was too confirmed a joker to object to anyone's laughing, and displayed a set of large, powerful, and very repulsive teeth. Moreover, he avowed his perfect willingness to swallow as much wine as desired. The monarch was pacified, and having drained another bumper with no very perceptible ill effect, Hopfrog entered at once and with spirit into the plans for the masquerade. I cannot tell what was the association of idea, observed he very tranquilly. Tranquilly? Observed he very tranquilly. <laughs> Tranquilly. <laughs> Mouth is so tired. It's a struggle tonight. I've been talking all day in like old English speak. If Scott Stackhouse, if you're listening, this is what we call vocal exhaustion. This is called lip lip exhaustion. I cannot tell what was the association of idea, observed he very tranquilly and as if he had never tasted wine in his life. But just after your majesty had done this, and, well, the parrot was making that odd noise outside the window, 
there came into my mind a capital diversion, one of my own country's frolics, often enacted among us at our masquerades, but here it will be all new altogether. Unfortunately, however, it requires a company of eight persons, and... Here we are, cried the king, laughing at his acute discovery of the coincidence. Eight to a fraction, I and my seven ministers come. What is the diversion? We call it, replied the dwarf, the eight-chained orangutans, and it really is excellent sport if well enacted. We will enact it, remarked the king, drawing himself up and lowering his eyelids. The beauty of the game, continued Hot Frog, lies in the fright it occasions among the women. <laughs> Capital, roared in chorus the monarch and his ministry. Yeah, we love scaring women. They're gonna die. I'm so excited. I will equip you as orangutans, uh, proceeded the dwarf. Leave all that to me. The resemblance shall be so striking that the company of masqueraders will take you for a real beasts, and of course, they will be much terrified as astonished. Oh, this is exquisite, claimed the king. Hop frog, I will make a man out of you. <laughs> now I'm all singing is the Mulan song. Make a man out of you. So now the king is Donny Osmond? <laughs> well, let's be fair. I got some things to say. <laughs> also, why was Donny Osmond playing the Asian like commander on Mulan? Because it was the 90s. Yes, it was. Why did I play Top Tim and the King and I? Oh, damn. Because it was the 90s? That was the early 2000s. <laughs> that wasn't much difference. Harder to excuse. Rude! <laughs> We've all done things. I'm so glad Facebook was not around when I was when I was a young. All right, anyway. Exquisite! I'm gonna make a man out of you. The chains are for the purpose of increasing the confusion by their jangling. You, you are supposed to have escaped en masse from your keepers. Your, your, your majesty cannot conceive the effect produced at a masquerade by eight chained orangutans imagined to be real ones by most of the company, and rushing in with savage cries among the crowd of delicately and gorgeously habited men and women. The contrast is inimitable. Inimitable. The contrast is inimitable. Is that right? Yep. That's a word that sounds wrong in your mouth. Inimitable. Inimitable. I think it's the third time you've said it in this story. I know, and I hate it. <laughs> it must be, said the king, and the council arose hurriedly as it was growing late to put in execution the scheme of Hopfrog. His mode of equipping the party as orangutans was very simple, but effective enough for his purpose. The animals in question had, at the epoch of my story, very rarely been seen in any part of the civilized world, and as the imitations made by the dwarf were sufficiently beast-like and more than sufficiently hideous, their truthfulness to nature was thus thought to be secured. <laughs> <laughs> so he just made them look fucking gnarly. Because, like, orangutans are orange mm -hmm. and, like, very smart and, like, and I had a great experience with them at the mm -hmm. zoo. Um... 
But he just was like, uh, yeah, some know, just paint here and some, some stuff here. and Slap yeah, some hair on him. You look like an orangutan. Now let's chain you up and send you in and hope somebody beats the shit out of you. The king and his ministers were first encased in... T- oh, we're actually going to get... Okay, we're going to get a, yep. a visual here. The king and his ministers were first encased in tight-fitting stockinette shirts and drawers. Then they were saturated with tar. <laughs> At this stage of the process, some one of the party suggested feathers. But the suggestion was at once overruled by the dwarf, who soon convinced the eight by ocular demonstration that the hair of such a brute of an orangutan was much more reflect- was much more effectively represented by flax. Do you know what flax is? Flax is like uh, 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 um, fabric. Flax is what is used to make linen. Yeah, I mean, it's a type. Flax is a type of plant. I learned that as Betsy Ross. <laughs> Yes, it's a plant. Yeah. And then they use that, that is, to make linen. I didn't know it's what was used to make linen. Mm-hmm. I know that flax seed yes. is, yep. like but, you yeah. can get oils from it and No, the, the plant of flax is the fibers that are used to make linen. Hmm, cool. Nerd. A thick, a thick coating of the latter was accordingly plastered upon the coating of tar. A long chain was now procured. First it was passed around the waist of the king and tied. Then about another of the party, and also tied, and then all successfully, in the same manner. When this chaining arrangement was complete, and the party stood in far apart from, when this chaining was, mm, when this chaining arrangement was complete, and the party stood as far apart from each other as possible, they formed a circle to make things all, to make all things appear natural. Hot Frog passed the residue of the chain in two diameters at right angles across the circle, after the fashion was adopted at the present day by those who capture chimpanzees or other large apes in Bonnaroo. That's... Bonnaroo is a a music festival! They're into some kinky shit at Bonnaroo, man. Yep. <laughs> like chaining up big furry apes. Chaining big furry apes at Bonnaroo. That's hot. <laughs> oh, wow. Hello, this is my gimp. <laughs> That'd be really hot. Bonnaroo's like out in the desert, isn't my, it? My gimp the chimp. Gimp the chimp. Don't mind the chains. He likes it. (laughs) He's into it, yeah. Sub and Dom right there. Yeah. Let's retry that again. That's in Borneo, y'all, not Bonnaroo, just so you know. (laughs) Though if you're into chains at Bonnaroo, that also makes sense. That's cool. This is a judgment-free zone. (laughs) Neither Hop Frog nor the Chimps will judge you. The grand saloon in which the masquerade was to take place was a circular room, very lofty and receiving the light of the sun only through a single window at top. 
At night, the season for which the apartment was especially designed, it was illuminated principally by a large chandelier, depending by a chain from the center of the skylight, and lowered or elevated by means of a counterbalance, as usual. But in order not to look unsightly, this ladder passed outside the cupola and over the roof. Hmm. All right. Cool. The arrangements of the room had been left to Trepetta's superintendents. Oh, she's ready. But in some particulars, it seems, she had been guided by the calmer judgment of her friend, the dwarf. At his suggestion, it was that on this occasion, the chandelier was removed. Its waxen drippings, which in warmer weather was quite impossible to prevent, would have been seriously detrimental to the rich dresses of the guests, who, on account of the crowded state of the saloon, could not be expected to keep from out of its center. That is to say, from under the chandelier. Additional sconces were set in various parts of the hall out of the way, and a flambeau emitted a sweet odor which placed in the right hand of each of the caratides that stood against the wall some fifty or sixty altogether. The eight orangutans, taking Hop Frog's advice, waited patiently until midnight, when the room was thoroughly filled with masqueraders, before making their appearance. No sooner had the clock ceased striking, however, than they rushed, or rather rolled in, all together, for the impediment of their chains caused most of the party to fall and all to stumble as they entered. The excitement among the masqueraders was prodigious, and filled the heart of the king with glee. As had been anticipated, there were not a few of the guests who supposed the ferocious-looking creatures to be beasts of some kind in reality, if not precisely orangutans. Because <laughs> no one knows what a fucking orangutan looks like. They're big and hairy. Scary! Many of the women swooned with affright, and had not the king taken the precaution to exclude all weapons from the saloon, his party might have Sometimes I glitch. Sometimes I glitch. Expectiated. His party, so many of the women swooned with affright, and had not the king taken the precaution to exclude all weapons from the saloon, his party might have expectiated. Expectiated. Nope. Expectiated. Nope. Expiated. Yep. Oh, Jesus. I'm so sweaty. He can't help you now. <laughs> His party might have expe... <laughs> Expedia! His party might soon have contacted Expedia.com. <laughs> Yum. That's a different commercial. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> Screw the masquerade ball. Let's go to Red Robin. Yum. Oh, my God. Unlimited fries? Fuck, yeah. I don't know why I'm not there all the time. Red Robin. Yum. Oh, my God. I'm sweating profusely. Okay. <laughs> okay. 
Oh, okay. What's expiated. Happening? Expiated. His party might soon have expiated their frolic in their blood. As it was, a general rush was made for the doors, but the king had ordered them to be locked immediately upon his entrance, and at the dwarf's suggestion, the keys had been deposited with him. Wow, it's like he has a plan or something, this uh, hot frog. While the tumult was at its height, and each masquerader attentive only to his own safety, for in fact there was much real danger from the pressure to, of the excited crowd, because, you know, when people are panicking. Yeah, stampede. <laughs> yep. The chain by which the chandelier ordinarily hung and which had been drawn up on its removal might have been seen very gradually to descend until its hooked extremity came within three feet of the floor. Soon after this, the king and his seven friends, having reeled about the hall in all directions, found themselves at length in its center. And, of course, in immediate contact with the chain. While they were thus situated, the dwarf, who had followed closely at their heels, inciting them to keep up with the commotion, took hold of their own chain at the intersection of the two portions which crossed the circle diametrically and at right angles. Here, with the rapidity of thought, he inserted the hook from which the chandelier had been wont to depend, and in an instant, by some unseen agency, the chandelier chain was drawn so far upon as to take the hook out of reach and, as an inevitable consequence, to drag the orangutans together in close connection and face to face. The masqueraders by this time had recovered, in some measure, from their alarm and beginning to regard the whole matter as a well-contrived pleasantry, set up a loud shout of laughter at the predicament of the apes. Leave them to me, now screamed Hopfrog, his shrill voice making itself easily heard through all of the din. Leave them to me, I fancy I know them. If I can only get a good look at them, I can soon tell who they are. Here, scrambling over the heads of the crowd, he managed to get to the wall when sleep, when seizing a flambeau from one of the caratides, caratides, I think that's what I said before, when seizing a flambeau from one of the caratides, he returned as he went to the center of the room, leaped with the agility of a monkey upon the king's head, and thence clambered a few feet up the chain, holding down the torch to examine the group of orangutans and still screaming, I shall soon find out who they are. And now, while the whole assembly, the apes included, were convulsed with laughter, the jester suddenly uttered a shrill whistle when the chain flew violently up for about 30 feet, dragging with it the dismayed and struggling orangutans and leaving them suspended in midair between the skylight and the floor. Hot Frog, clinging to the chain as it rose, still maintained his relative position in respect to the eight maskers, and still, as a if nothing were the matter, continued to thrust his torch down towards them, as though endeavoring to discover who they were. So thoroughly astonished with the whole company at this ascent that a dead silence of about a minute's duration ensued. It was broken by just such a low, harsh, grating sound as had before attracted the attention of the king and his counselors when the former threw the wine in the face of Trepetta. 
But on the present occasion, there could be no question as to whence the sound issued. It came from the fang-like teeth of the dwarf, who ground them and gnashed them as he foamed at the mouth and glared with an expression of maniacal rage into the upturned countenances of the king and his seven companions. Aha, said at length the infuriated gesture. Aha, I begin to see who these people are now. Here, pretending to scrutinize the king more closely, he held the flambeau to the flaxen coat which enveloped him and which instantly burst into a sheet of vivid flame. In less than half a minute, the whole eight orangutans were blazing fiercely amid the shrieks of the multitude who gazed at them from below, horror-stricken and without the power to render them the slightest assistance. At length, the flames, suddenly increasing in virulence, forced the jester to climb higher up the chain to be out of their reach, and as he made this movement, the crowd again sank for a brief moment into silence. The dwarf seized his opportunity and once more spoke. I now see distinctly, he said, what manner of people these maskers are. They are a great king and his seven privy counselors, a king who does not scruple to strike a defenseless girl, and his seven counselors who abet him in the outrage. As for myself, I am simply Hopfrog the Jester, and this is my last jest. Owing to the high combustibility of both the flax and the tar to which it adhered, the dwarf had scarcely made an end to his brief speech before the work of vengeance was complete. The eight corpses swung in their chains, a fetid, blackened, hideous, and indistinguishable mass. The dwarf hurled his torch at them, clambered leisurely to the ceiling, and disappeared through the skylight. It is supposed that Trepetta, stationed on the roof of the saloon, had been the accomplice of her friend in this fiery revenge, and that together they effected their escape to their own country, for neither was seen again. The fucking end. <laughs> That was dope. That was fucking great. <laughs> I am sweating. That was exciting. That was some fucking that was that was Game of Thrones level revenge scene. That really was. That was yeah. good shit right there. Yeah, that was um That was more than I could have ever asked for, honestly. I thought that people were just gonna beat him to death or something. No, that was fucking great. Yeah, that's that um that had all the makings of like a Jacobean revenge drama. Yes. I was like, this would make an amazing like short film. Or if you like had some like cool puppetry stuff going, you, if could, you do could do a do it really right, you could cool do play. Wild on stage. Really with that. cool yeah. play. And it would also give some great opportunity to two little people or dwarves mm -hmm. um, as actors. Like, fuck. Like, that's. That that is a uh, that's great. Yeah. <laughs>
That was fun. I knew it was going to go. Well, see, I didn't know it was going to go dark because we've read some Edgar Allan Poe's that don't. Like, but yeah. once they started painting the king as such a fucking dick, yeah. like, I was like, if this doesn't go dark, I'm going to be disappointed. So I'm glad it went super dark to the point where they burned them to a crisp. Well, and we, you, you must have known something was coming because I mentioned that this. Oh yes, because it was the terror of the clown. This, oh, I completely, was, I had completely like forgotten that that was this associated was one with of the, the predecessors facts. or the prototypes of the evil clown. Oh, yeah. but was he evil? No, I don't think so. Uh, I, I, but I, yes, I'm sure you know the people who write history are the rich people. Well, and and the, and the idea based on of, a true story. The idea oh. of a um, evil clown is not necessarily like your bad guys. Bad guys, mm -hmm. criminals, are not always people that you can't relate to. Of course. Oftentimes, you, if you look into the motivations in literature of people who look horrible. Oh, of course. It's like, are they, are you really the bad yeah. guy? And like Edgar Allan Poe wasn't even, wasn't even trying to yeah. make them look like they were the bad guy. But, but, but yeah. evil clown, quotey fingers, it, it um, displayed a lot of the hallmarks of the evil clown and and the, and the smart jester, like yeah. being afraid of the like the mm -hmm. the uh, the 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 smart evil uh, clown. Yes. Um, but yes, it is believed that this was based on <gasps> actual events. There was an actual masquerade where uh, several members of the court were burned to death in the 14th century. That is fucking lit. Um, yeah, pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> That was good shit, y'all. I I thoroughly enjoyed reading that. Yeah. <laughs> if you couldn't tell. That was a good one. That was a good one. <laughs> well played. Hey, listener, what did you think of that story? Did you enjoy it? Uh, I always like when we do Edgar Allan Poe. His writing is really good, so good. And it's, um, it's interesting because I feel like with the exception of The Black Cat, Every time we've read, well, and I suppose even with The Black Cat, it was not the story I expected it to be. Yes, absolutely. But, but weirdly, like, he is never quite predictable what I expect to come from him, yeah. which is cool. He doesn't, so a lot of our authors, like, kind of have a thing. I mean, even like Agatha Christie, you know you're going to get a great mystery. Mm -hmm. There's going to be a lot of twists and turns in it, but yep. you know it's going to be a great mystery. Edgar Allan Poe, you never quite know what story you're about to get. Like, is it going to be, like, the black cat, a very disturbing, like, abusive situation? This, is it going to be, like, an ultimate revenge on, yeah. like, the monarchy? Like, some of the other stories we've read are very funny. Yeah. Like, yeah. almost parodies of life. Like, I mean, that's, he, he really does pull from so many different tropes and genres that it, it is quite fun. Yeah. And all the writing is always very good. The versatility of a good artist. There you go, right there. All right. Well, uh, go ahead and write in. Let us know what you thought about this one, um, because I'd really be curious to know. Also, please do, as I uh, said in the beginning, share with us what the first time you can remember running across the the trope or the genre of evil clown in horror. Um yeah, because I'm curious about that. Yeah. And when you write in, uh, please do share with us this week's secret passcode, which is mask your balls. Mask your balls. Uh, that's it for me. You got anything else? That's it. I mean, that was fun. I, I, I'm glad I had a glass of wine while I read that one. It seemed appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> 
All right. Well, then, until next week, this has been Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. Evil clown, evil clown, evil clown, evil clown. He'll walk into your masquerade and fuck up your day. 